Wonderful. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And the uh, Lord has been very, very, very good to us this morning through His Word. If you're joining us for the very first time today, I've been preaching through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings for the last uh, year and almost nine months. By the time we conclude John's Gospel, it'll be a year and uh, ten months that we have been in this wonderful book of John. And what I told our church this morning is once I'm done with this uh, preaching through this verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we may put some of the previous messages, put all of the messages on a USB uh, drive where you could actually listen. If you've maybe newer to the church and you'd like to go back uh, 2022, January, around that time we began uh, this journey, that uh, you would... Not You could get caught up, you could listen to it. If it was years down the road, you could still pop it in and listen to it. And so John has been uh, a wonderful book to preach through, and uh, just a lot of things there. We'll be in John chapter 20, and we'll pick up around uh, verse number 24. If you remember last week, Jesus appears to the disciples in this room. They're hiding uh, for fear of the Jews. They had the doors shut. They're in there. Of course, Christ has died on the cross, and he was buried, and he had risen from the dead, though they were, uh, they did not know really what had happened to the Lord. They uh, went, a couple disciples went to the tomb. His body wasn't there. And so uh, they are fearful that what happened to Jesus uh, by him being crucified would happen to them if they were caught. The Jews knew that this band of 11 men, uh, excluding Judas, he had already uh, by this point had hung himself and, and uh, deserted the Lord and, and denied the Lord and betrayed the Lord. And so 11 of these men are hiding in this room other than actually just 10 of them because Thomas is missing. So they're in this upper room. They're fearful of what may come in their life. I love, I love college football. Aren't you thankful for college football coming next Saturday? Boy, things in the world will be a lot more normal And uh, when we see the pigskin flying in the air. I was reading some stats this past week. I'm a, I love stats. I love history. I love uh, those things, especially about things that I, I follow, and I follow college football. 1916, Georgia Tech was a powerhouse uh, in uh, college football, and they played a team by the name of Cumberland University. It was a tiny law school and Georgia Tech was this big university even back then. And this little school named Cumberland University only really trained lawyers at that time. And so Georgia Tech was up against this school. And to my knowledge, this may be the biggest uh, de uh, over or deficit that any team has ever been defeated by. The final score was 222 to nothing. 222 to nothing. I mean, they beat the Cumberland players to a pulp. Uh, they were hauling them off the field. They were carrying them off in stretchers. Uh, and the players were so tired, bruised, discouraged, afraid, no longer unified, fighting on the sidelines with each other. The game was not even over, and they were leaving. A couple of the players left. Uh, they're like, this is not even right. And, and I guess the crowning action of their despair toward the end of the game was their quarterback. His name was Ed Edwards. He was the quarterback for the Cumberland team. And Ed Edwards was under the center, and he took the snap from the center. And as a big Georgia Tech lineman came barreling through as he had the whole time, uh, the whole game, the uh, quarterback, Ed Edwards, fumbled the ball 
and the ball's on the ground, and Ed Edwards looks at the fullback and says, pick the ball up. And the fullback looks back at the quarterback and says, no, you dropped it. <laughs> right in the middle of the game. And, of course, uh, Georgia Tech picks it up and scores another touchdown. And you know what was happening in that ball game? That fullback and the rest of the team was tired of being pulverized. I mean, they had been completely uh, pulverized by this Georgia Tech team. Uh, when I read John chapter 20, I read about these disciples. They're up in this room, and they are fearful for the Jews. And I, I think about if anybody in life had been pulverized, and if the score in life was 222 to 0, it was the disciples. The disciples has just lost Jesus. To their mind, Jesus was, was, was dead, he was uh, buried, and someone had come into the tomb and stolen his body. And they're so confused, they're afraid, they're hiding behind closed doors, according to the text. It's locked in fear for Jewish leaders. And the story is really circulating that the disciples had actually stole the body. So to even ramp things up even more... The, the story around Jerusalem was that the disciples had come and stolen the body of Jesus. So now, not only did they hang out with Jesus, not only did they follow Jesus, but now, more than likely, what was started by the Roman government was that the Jewish followers of Christ, the disciples, had stolen the body of our Lord. And they were aware that the tomb was empty. The news of Jesus had, had appeared to them on the road of Emmaus and it was too much to hope for. And like Cumberland getting their hopes up that they could somehow score 222 points and come back from behind and win would take a miracle. It just wasn't going to happen. I want to invite you to our text this morning in John chapter 20. And look with me in verse number 24. The Bible says, But Thomas... Now, this is after Jesus commissions the disciples. He shows up to them, ten of those men. Thomas is absent. And so ten of them are up in the room, and here comes Jesus appearing through a wall, and he shows up in the midst, and he speaks to the disciples, and he says, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So he commissions the disciples. Hey, boys, go turn the world upside down. Go preach Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. Go tell them that I'm alive. Go tell them peace. And, 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 he, and he commissions them, but then he speaks and he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them, and they have power. Well, Thomas is not even aware of this. So in verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, which means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. And I put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have 
believe. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach for a few minutes. And Lord, I pray that you will, uh, Lord, help us in this text this morning as you already have. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thomas was not in the place where he should be. We see that in verse 24, but Thomas, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with him or with them when Jesus came. You say, Pastor, what was the big deal about Thomas not being where he was supposed to be? Uh, Well, here's the deal. In verse number 19, if you go back in the text, in verse 19, uh, the Bible says Jesus came and stood in the midst. So his presence was there. In verse 19, the Lord's presence was in that room. And Thomas missed the presence of the Lord. Not only did he miss the presence of the Lord, but he missed the power of the Lord. I mean, Jesus walked through a wall. He walked through a closed door. Jesus shows up in the midst and he breathes on them the power of the Spirit of God. My friend, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has the power to breathe the Spirit of God on these men before the Holy Ghost had ever came. And so he commissions them. Thomas misses that. He missed the presence. He missed the power. He missed the peace. See, Jesus said to the disciples in verse number 19, Peace be unto you. So he missed the peace. He missed the presence. He missed the power. Hey, he missed the praises because the Bible says in verse 20, And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So the disciples were glad. There was a little worship service that broke out. The disciples no doubt began to smile and some of them began to laugh and they began to hug and they began to cheer. Maybe a few high-fived, maybe a few fist bumps, maybe a few got up and they were just so uh, uh, glad that Jesus had showed up in the midst. He missed the promotions of the Lord. God said, uh, Jesus said, that as uh, my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. By the way, church, stay with me. What an honor it is to be sent by the Lord. And God was saying, or Jesus was saying rather, my Father hath sent me. He sent me into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And so as my Father has commissioned me, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. We preached on that last week. Thomas missed that. Verses 22 and 23, he missed the provisions of the Lord because... He then provides the Holy Ghost. He breathes on them the Holy Ghost. And he says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. So Thomas missed a lot. Now, this is not the message this morning, but have you ever been in a place where, or maybe you missed a place, or you missed a service, or you missed a ball game, or you missed something where people came and said, bro, you should have been there. How many of you can identify with that? You missed it the other night. I mean, you missed it. Oh, you should have been there. And you're thinking, man, why did I not go? I had the opportunity to be there, and I just didn't really want to go. And now they're talking about how good it is. You feel left out. You feel like, man, I can't identify with these people because they saw something that I'll never get to see. They heard something that I never got to hear. And Thomas, when he showed up with the disciple band in this room, The same thing went on. Thomas, you should have been here. Why? Jesus showed up. What? He came to us. Well, what did he say? Peace be unto you. What? Just what I needed and I wasn't here? I needed peace in my life and I wasn't here? Church, look at me. Look me in my eyeballs this this morning real quick. You need to be in the house of God every week. 
It is not debatable. It's not something that you should consider on Saturday night and say, well, I wonder if we ought to go in the morning. No, listen, when Thomas was not in his place and we don't really know why Thomas wasn't there, we're going we're to maybe look at a, some prior text and maybe try to figure out maybe why Thomas wasn't there. But you understand this, for whatever excuse Thomas had for not being in that room, it, it was nothing compared to what happened in that room. Any excuse, you could say, well, pastor, whatever it is, Hey, let me tell you, Thomas should have been there because Jesus showed up. We all have excuses. But regardless of our excuses, there's just some things that could never be duplicated. And these disciples told him about it in verse 25, but Thomas learned the hard way that there are some things you just have to see for yourself. Thomas is a good picture on why being faithful to church is so vitally important. You just never know what church service you'll miss and you wish you would have been there. When somebody gets saved, when somebody's life gets restored, when somebody, maybe there's a big day or a bit, and you just did not show up. Or maybe it was a decision that needed to be made, a message that could have helped you, but you wasn't there. This morning, someone came out in the lobby and they said, Preacher, are you preaching that? Is that, on, is that recorded? And I said, well, I'm preaching the same message at 11 o'clock. He said, man, I knew somebody that I just, I wish they were here to hear it. You know, sometimes we, we just come up with excuses. And we, we come up with things and people have all kinds of reasons for, for missing services. We live in days where people's lives are so busy and their lives are hectic and their children are busy with sports and other activities. And sometimes God fails to get first place in our priorities. We'll go to the lake, we'll go to the, we'll go to the beach, we'll go. And listen, I'm not talking about vacation. I'm not talking, I'm just talking about we choose other things before God. You're looking at a pastor, and I know I'm going to deflate some folks. You're looking at a pastor that does not like travel ball. And I make no bones, I do not apologize for that. Now, do we have members that do it? Absolutely. Do I love them? You better believe it. But I wish they wouldn't do it. Why? Because you're putting priorities above the Lord's day. I ain't going to get very amen. Y'all looking at me like screen doors on a submarine. I'm telling you right now, but I ain't for it. I ain't for it one bit. Why? Because when that kid turns 18 and 19, you come and say, Pastor, I can't, I just can't get little Johnny to like church. Wonder why. He's been on the ball field for the last 10 years. It's about time we preach this morning. And by the way, I said that in the early service. I'll say it again. If we had a service this evening, I'd say it again. We, I'm, I don't like it. Why? But I, you say, Pastor, you're against sports. You're crazy. I love it. I was just at a ball game screaming my head off Friday night for my son. I love it. But where are we at on the Lord's Day? In the house of God. There's plenty of ball fields. Listen, I love those people. I wish to God we can reach them with the gospel. Some of them are deacons. Some of them are preachers. Some of them are faithful members, I guess, or you say members of the church. But can I say this? We have no business anywhere other than the Lord's house. Amen. Boy, I know it's not very popular in 2023, but it is. It's still, I believe if Thomas would have been where he was, some of the things that Thomas struggled with would have been non-existent. Thomas needed to be here, but he wasn't. I read recently about a, uh, uh, the uh, three reasons why you know, people wasn't going to church, and I thought it was interesting, but a, a husband and his wife arose one morning on a typical Sunday morning, and 
they were about to go to church, and so the wife was, you know, getting uh, ready for church, and she was, you know, getting her stuff on and getting everything going, and, and looked over at the husband, and he had not moved a muscle. She looked, and he always went to church. And she looked at him and said, why aren't you getting dressed for church? And he said, because I don't want to go. She asked, do you have any reason? He said, yes, I have three good reasons why I don't want to go to church today. The first reason is the congregation is cold. Now, some of you complain about the temperature at times. You come in here at 8.30 in the morning, it's freezing. <laughs> Thank you, Henry. <laughs> it is cold in the morning. It is cold in the morning. Y'all blame Jesse or David McLean for that. That has none of my doings. And he said, the first reason is because the congregation is cold. The second, no one likes me there. And the third, I, I just don't want to go. And the wife replied wisely, well, honey, I'll give you three reasons why you should go to church this morning. The first is because the congregation is warm. And secondly, there are a few people there that like you. And thirdly, you're the pastor. Get your clothes on. We all have excuses, but can I say none of them are worth the effort it takes to say them. We need to be in the house of God. I, I read this quote this week uh, from Michael Foster. It says this, and listen to this quote about church attendance. He said, nothing grows Christians like a serious commitment to a single week in and week out service for years and years. Not a conference, not social media, not even your personal devotions. The local church is where the mature Christians are slowly forged in the fires of mundane faithfulness. That is a powerful quote. Just week in, week out, getting yourself ready, coming to the church. You say, well, pastor, if I make that decision, listen, we've heard, uh, we've heard before the quote that, that Sunday morning attendance is a Saturday night decision. Can I say, no, 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 no. I, I know that sounds really good, but it's not a Saturday night decision. It is a life decision. It's a life decision. Get your family under the sound preaching of God's word week in and week out, just faithful, faithful, faithful. And Thomas had been dubbed the doubter. When we talk about Thomas, the disciple, many people say, oh, doubting Thomas. But we don't call Peter denying Peter. Peter denied the Lord. He didn't deny him just one time. He denied him three times. And here, Thomas had a lifestyle of doubting. Let's back up for a moment on maybe why Thomas was dubbed the doubter. Look back with me in John chapter 11, if you would. John chapter 11. We know John chapter 11 is Lazarus has died. Jesus has just announced his desire to return back to Judea because Lazarus is dead, his friend. Now, if you remember, Judea is a place in John 11 where they wanted to kill Jesus. These religious Pharisees and these leaders in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill Jesus. And so Jesus is actually saying, I want to go back to a place where they have a, a bounty on my head. They want to they kill me. Now go back in John chapter 11 and go with me in verse number 7. Then after that, so this is where he had been. Lazarus is dead in verse 6. Verse 7, then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Are you going back there after they have promised to kill you if they see your face? 
Now go back down to verse number 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Here's the reason. I'm going back to Judea. My friend has died and I must go. Now look at their response in verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Notice verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now that's interesting. Because Lazarus' body was in Bethany, which is two miles east of Jerusalem. So humanly speaking, it was suicide for Jesus to return, being that his, he was in jeopardy of, of losing his life then. And, and what Thomas is saying is, hey, if you're going there, let us go with you that we may die. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Thomas was actually wanting to go. That shows me that Thomas had some courage. Thomas said, he wasn't trying to talk Jesus out of going. Thomas was actually saying, Lord, if you're going back there, let us also go with you so that we may die also. So it means, well, what's Thomas, what's in his mindset at that time? He's wanting to maybe die for the fact that, that Jesus is going back to Judea to see his friend Lazarus who has died to pay his respects. They didn't know Jesus was going there to break up a funeral, right? Uh, raise the dead. But, but they, they knew he was going back because he loved Lazarus. And so we see some courage, but we also see that he was a pessimist because he was sure of the worst, that we may go and die. We're just going, we know this is it. Jesus, if you show up down there, they're going to kill you, but if we're with you, they're going to kill us. He was, a, he was what we call a Debbie Downer. The worst is bound to happen. You ever been around somebody like that, that everything they do is negative? Oh, it ain't going to work out. Oh, there's going to be terrible. Oh, we're just going to have a terrible time. Oh, we're just, I do not like to be around them, but there's always one in a crowd, right? There's always one in a family. There's always one in a church. There's usually a, a, a several in the church. And, and, and there's usually one. You know, we, we, we're always just looking at it in the negative. Thomas viewed life in the negative. He is best characterized by one of my favorite cartoons of all time, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown said this, the great philosopher. He said, I have a new philosophy for life. From now on, I'm going to dread one day at a time. One, just one day, I'll just dread one day instead of the whole week. So Thomas, he just, he was a pessimist. Now, I want you to turn ahead a little bit. Look with me in John chapter 14, and Jesus is telling his disciples about heaven. We preached four Sundays in a row through John chapter 14 on let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is telling his disciples about heaven. Look at verse number 3 of John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse number 3. The Bible says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Here it is, verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. And how can we know the way? You know, sometimes we read that and we say Thomas is wanting to know the way. But I believe in, in our pessimistic view of Thomas. Thomas is saying, Lord, if you leave, how are we going to find out where this place is? Lord, you're our master. You're our leader. You're our rabbi. You're our teacher. 
how are you, if you leave, how are you going to show us? We don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way to this place. We don't know that place that you're speaking of. So in John chapter 19, when Jesus is crucified, Thomas's life is shattered. Could you imagine? I believe Thomas loved Jesus. I believe Thomas just craved onto his, uh, his teachings and his miracles. He just craved them and he believed them and he, he was just looking. And when Thomas knew that Jesus had been crucified in John 19, you could almost hear Thomas say, I knew it. I knew it. All my fears have come true. He's gone. I don't know where he is. And I didn't die with him. I'll never see Jesus again. That was Thomas's idea of what's going on. And for Thomas, the Lord was dead. His pessimism was, was true. It was a cross standing on a windy hill, a tomb with a stone in front of the door, guarded by Roman soldiers. It's over. It's over. Disciples, you might as well leave. You might as well just go hide. Uh, it's over and Thomas leaves. I believe the reason Thomas is not with the disciples is because he is so sorrowful and so crushed that he could not stand the fact that Jesus was gone. But Thomas was not with him. Look with me in John 20 and verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. I believe that Thomas was so isolated in the cold chill of sorrow while others were warmed and filled with the presence of God because he had just showed up. Thomas is cold. He's overran with sorrow and depression. And ladies and gentlemen, can I just say this morning on the authority of God's Word that when sorrow comes and sadness comes and it envelops in you, you have a tendency to shut yourself up. You have a tendency to go in a closed room, in a dark room, and just isolate yourself and refuse to meet with other believers. But that is not what we should do. We are called to assembly. That is the very time that we need each other the most. I looked out here this morning and I seen a man who we just buried his, his wife uh, five weeks ago. Sitting right over here, singing the songs and worshiping the Lord with a smile on his face when his wife of many years has died of cancer and went to be with the Lord. And you say, Pastor, how in the world can that man... By the way, the Sunday after his wife's death, he was here. And the Sunday after that, he was here. And then he came by the book place over here uh, in the lobby and grabbed four books. And he says, I want to give these to people that need these books right now. You say, Pastor, what's done that? The grace of God. What's done that? He is assembled and he got encouragement from the Lord. And he was with people instead of isolating himself in a room. I realize depression is real. I realize that sometimes you need to seek medical help and professional help. But can I tell you what would be good for some of you is just to get under the sound preaching of God's Word and the worship with each other and get uh, together and look each other in the face and smile at one another and be with the people of God. I know that COVID came and I know that churches didn't know what to do and we closed our doors for a little while and went on a video. But I'll say this, no matter what comes our way, no matter what variant, no matter what sickness, no matter what pandemic comes, we ain't closing them up. Why? Because the church of Jesus Christ needs to be together. Some of you, that rubbed you wrong. But can I tell you something? Listen to me. 
I'm not going to let Washington dictate what happens in here. Oh, no. We're preaching the gospel. You can do whatever you want to do. We got people watching live stream this morning. I appreciate that. But can I say this? Listen to me. We need to be under the preaching of God's word. You say, what happened to you, pastor? What happened to you? Well, why are you preaching like a wild man this morning? I'll tell you, hey, there's times when discouragement and doubt and tribulation comes in our life. Hey, I need this just as much as you need this. We need to be together. And Thomas's mistake was seeking loneliness instead of togetherness. We do not need to isolate. We do not need to shut ourselves up in a room and cry our sorrows away. Yes, there's a time uh, for crying. And yes, there's a time for tears. And yes, there's a time to sorrow. But understand, we need to be together with the people of God. We need to be together. I like it when we're together. Preaching to a video camera was terrible. Preaching to an auditorium filled with emptiness. Filled with emptiness, right? But it was. It was filled with an empty spirit. I mean, there was nothing going on. You're talking about depression. I read yesterday that uh, uh, teens' depression is at an all-time high. We've known that. But, but they said there's not enough psychiatrists to deal with the teenagers that are going in seeking mental evaluations and seeking uh, depression uh, therapy and different things. Why? Because we're living in a depressed society. What can raise people out of this? And I know you sound that sounds like a generic... What would help our society more than anything is to get under the sound preaching of a local Baptist church. A local church that loves people. We need that. Even in the dark days of persecution, Pliny wrote to Trajan, the Roman Empire, and he said this about Christians. Listen to what they said about Christians during the time when they were beheading Christians and burning them at the stake. Listen to what he said. They are given to meet together on a stated day before dawn and sing among themselves a hymn to Christ their God. Now understand this. Listen to me, church. Look, we have a full house today several times today. Think about this. If they were out here at the bridge, right out here at the bridge, crossing over into Fountain Inn. And they said, anybody crosses this bridge going to that church up there, we're cutting your head off today. There'd be a lot of cars turn around. There'd be a lot of people say, yep, no, we, no, sir, they ain't catching me down there at that church today. They are killing people. You understand that did happen. Oh, no, 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 not over here. But there was Christians that died for the faith. If they were caught with a Bible, if they were caught speaking the name of Jesus, if they were caught with a hymn, you say, oh, hey, we've got this idea that we, we just think in our mind that that's all fiction. That's just some fictitious story. Friend, that actually happened. We wouldn't have a Bible if it wasn't for some of them that burned for the faith, that stood for Christ. And here Thomas Instead of being with his disciple friends and his, his, his uh, teammates and his, his friends and different followers of Christ, he's not present. And the other disciples, in verse 25, if you look with me in John 20 and verse 25, now they're stood by the, uh, uh, wrong chapter, verse 20, uh, that was 19, verse 25 of, of, of uh, chapter 20, and the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I see his hands and the prince and his nails, 
of the nails and the, my finger into the prints of the nails. I, I thrust my hand into the side. I will not believe. Thomas, like every one of us, often carries his faith on his fingertips. We will believe only what we can see and touch. Faith cometh by hearing. and Hearing by the word of God. Oh, but I can't touch it. I can't see it, so it must not be real. Well, I want you to join me in verse number 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus coming in and saying, Peace be unto you. If I were Jesus, I would have looked at Thomas and said, Where were you at the other night? Where were you at? Eight days ago when I showed up the first time, I've got to do this again. I wish you'd get it in your mind. You think you're some disciple. You, you get out of here. Uh, you, you wasn't here the first time, so, so, so you don't deserve my presence. But that ain't what Jesus did. Jesus came specifically for Thomas. He came to the individual. Old Squire Parsons had it right when he said he came to me. I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus came to the rest of the ten, but I'm thankful that he came to Thomas. Jesus came. Christ is still declaring the victory, victory over death and victory over doubt. And one of the most precious verses that overflows with the grace of God is found in verse 27 of John chapter 20. Look at it. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Thomas was not kicked out of the disciple band for not believing, not kicked out for being a pessimist. Instead, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, reached down to where he, his frightened sheep was and picked him up and gave him unforgettable gift of grace. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus Christ is committed to turning failure into faithfulness. He can take our failures and he can turn it into faithfulness. We see the gift of grace, the patience of grace. And we see the commendation of faith. The commendation of faith. Look with me in verse number 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, Lord, or my Lord and my God, Jesus Christ is dedicated to turning doubt into declaration. But in verse 28, did you know that this is the first time in the gospel accounts that the Lord Jesus Christ is addressed in this way? It wasn't by Peter. It wasn't by John, the writer of this gospel. This is the first time that he's addressed this way, and it is the statement, the Christology or the uh, Christological account or the announcement that defies and silences all other cults and isms and spasms. This right here. When he said, my Lord and my God, that Peter said in John chapter 6, he said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. That's a great statement. That is a declaration. But hey, he said, my Lord and my God. He stuck his fingers into the wounds 
into the side of the risen Savior. I love what happens here in verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, now notice this, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Oh, you can see Thomas after that declaration, his eyes light up and Jesus, of course, a smile on his face. He sees the belief in Thomas's eyes. And then he makes a statement. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know you can write your name right there? Blessed is Stephen, who has not seen, yet believed. Blessed is Will and Susie, who has not seen, yet believed. We've not seen the risen Savior with our eyes. We've not seen the scars or the nail prints, the wounds in his hands and in his side. But the truth is, we... We all also have problems with what we do not know and cannot comprehend and cannot touch or see or even taste. But verse 29 is a special commendation and encouragement for you and for me. Even though I could not see it, he saw me. I read a story just few weeks ago about uh, uh, Joe Schmidt out of St. Paul, Minnesota told this story about a father who was awakened at, at, at uh, early mornings, two or three o'clock in the morning, smoke alarm was going off, smoke was in, he could smell smoke, so he frantically wakes his wife up and runs down to the kids' rooms, the kids were on two different, or the kids were upstairs, so he runs up the stairs and uh, grabs uh, the little baby, there was like a 15-month-old, and then he grabs his little five-year-old boy. And they're running down the stairs and smoke. They're coughing. See some flames in the distance. Joe said, I'm running, or he tells a story about the man running down the stairs and his son is crying because he doesn't understand. Just woke up and everybody's hollering. And, and uh, he said that uh, his son, five-year-old, breaks away from his daddy's pulling him and runs back up the stairs to his room because he's scared. And the dad is already down almost outside the house with the baby and the wife has already made it outside. And so the dad walks out and he hands the baby to the wife and looks up and and he says, I believe Johnny ran to the top stairs. And the window opens, the little boy opens and he says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm up here. And the dad said, well, he's going to run back in. And, and the firefighters were holding him back, saying, no, 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 we're going to go in. And he said, no, I've got to go get my son. And the son's looking down and saying, Daddy. And the, and the dad says, jump, son. Just jump. Come out on the roof and jump. He said, but I can't see you because of the smoke. And the dad says, but I can see you. And everything's going to be okay. And that boy came off that ledge and crawled out that window and jumped into his daddy's arms and sometimes we cannot see but what matters is not what we cannot see but who's looking at us some of you are in the fog of your life smoke has filled the future you're not sure what the next move is your world has been turned upside down 
But I got news for you. You may not be able to see him, but he sure can see you. And you need to be in that place. And you need to know what the Father sees. We don't know much about Thomas after the ascension of Christ because Thomas now believes. But Christian history says that Thomas, after this account, because Thomas really no longer is mentioned. He's not mentioned in the book of Acts. We don't really know what happened to Thomas, but Christian history says that Thomas went overseas to the nation of India, the country of India, and started preaching the gospel in India. Matter of fact, if you were to go, and I I found this to be true, that the church of, of South India traces their roots all the way back to Thomas. What Thomas did was he went over there after the resurrection after he believed, after he had touched the, the, the nail prints in the Savior's hand and the feet and the side, and he believed there was no longer doubt. He said, I'm going to tell others about what I have experienced. Matter of fact, many say that he led King Gondophorus to the Lord in India in a missionary I can't help but think about what the hymn writer said, face to face I shall behold him, far beyond the starry skies, face to face in all his beauty I shall see him by and by. For some of you right now it seems like the score is 222 to zero. You have been kicked around by life, you have been in a discouragement, in a battle, you've wanted to isolate, you've wanted to just give in, but can I tell you, you may not see the next step, but He sees right where you are. He knows right where you are. And if Thomas can believe, you and I can by faith. And there's a great commendation to those of us that believe and have never seen. Aren't you thankful for that? 